0: Psalms 121. Thank you for being back here tonight. It's been a very, very busy week. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving Jesus. Amen. If you're a guest or visitor here today, we have several folks that are new to our church here tonight. Thank you for coming back to the church this evening or being here tonight. And uh, this is kind of a Sunday nights. It's kind of just really centered around the, the core of the church. And it's a teaching time and preaching time to build us up in God's Word. And I want to, we're going through a series tonight uh, that we started two weeks ago from Psalms 120 to Psalms 134. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. Or if you look at the, uh, the uh, superscription before the Psalm, it says a song of degrees and we'll talk about that a little bit here, but these these psalms are very precious because these were memorized by the Jews. And uh, when they came back for uh, the great feast, like the Feast of Passover or the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles. They, they, came from all, they came back into the holy city of Jerusalem. And as they made their way up the hill, they would quote these psalms. They would quote it because they were very dear to them. And uh, they say that the priests, the priests, as they made their ascent up to the temple, they would go up the temple steps and they would stop at each step and recite these psalms. And that's great dedication when you think about it and great just commitment to the Word of God. But these psalms have a lot of meaning for us. And perhaps for many of us who are going through valleys and trials and difficulties, these psalms are very, very helpful to us. Last week, we saw Psalms 120. And the title of the psalm in Psalms 120 was Dwelling in the Tents of, of Kedar. And then the week before that, we saw Psalms 126. And Psalms 126, we kind of use that as our launching point. But that one is about living the dream. And tonight I want us to notice Psalms 121 as we read that this evening. And what i like to do is I'm going to read, it's, it's there are eight verses, I'm going to read the odd number of verses. I want you as a congregation to read the even number of verses. But our title comes from uh, verses 1 and 2. And the title of the, of the study tonight is Help is on the Way. And uh, when you need help, you want it to come right away, Amen. And uh, when you're the one that's needy, you want that help to come. So I'm going to read the odd number of verses. I'm going to ask you to read the even number of verses. Let's read it clearly. Loudly and distinctly, because that's the Bible way of reading the Bible. Amen? So, Psalms 121, verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. Congregation, my help. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Congregation, behold. <laughs> The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. Congregation, the sun shall not. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Altogether, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Father, thank you tonight. Blessed are they that read the scriptures and read the word of God. And I pray this evening that the reading of a word, as well as just the, the simple study this evening we're going through, will encourage our hearts, will help, help those especially going through valleys and difficulties to know that help is always on the way. Thank you, as we read tonight, that our help comes from the Lord. Thank you tonight, that Lord, that you are our keeper and the preserver of our souls. Thank you that how this psalm ends, it says, The Lord shall preserve our going out and our coming in from this time forth, and forevermore. Father, I pray that you help my thoughts to be in line with your thoughts, and I pray that my words would be your words, and I pray to say nothing more than nothing less than what you'd have me to say tonight. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that some of what is said tonight would be preventative maintenance and help prepare us perhaps for things to come, and then I pray today that that some of what we would be preaching tonight will be a key that unlocks a door, perhaps, where someone has felt that a door has been closed in their life, and that perhaps this sum will open their door. I pray that, Lord, you'll give us, help us to trust you more, help you help us to have more faith in you. I pray that you'll help us to pray more because of this. I pray that, Lord, we will increase and grow in our strength in the Lord and realize that, God, that you are our confidence. And as the Bible says tonight, you'll keep our foot from being taken. Use this psalm, I pray, to build us up in the word of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's 15 of these psalms. And if we follow the footsteps of the priest, we're making our ascent up to the temple of God. We're making our ascent into the very presence of God, getting closer and closer. Step number one we saw it was Psalms 120. We saw the psalmist there crying out to God, praying for God's help. He said in Psalms 120, verse one, "In my distress I cried unto the Lord; He heard me." Step number one, he said, "I'm going. I'm going to go up. I'm going higher." And that's our theme. I'm going higher. He got on step number one. He says, "I'm on this first step, and I'm making my ascent to God." Now this evening we're on step number two. In step number two, it starts off with the psalmist says. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. The key word we'll find in Psalms 121 is found in verses 4 through 8 if you'll look at it. The key word is the word keep or keeper. Notice in verse 4 it says he that keepeth Israel. Notice verse 5 the Lord is thy keeper. Notice if you went going to verse 7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. And then again verse 7, he shall preserve thee, preserve thy soul. And then again in verse 8, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in. The words preserve and the word keeper are both the same Hebrew word. It's speaking about the fact that God is there watching over you. He's encompassing you. He's shadowing you. He's with you. This psalm was written to encourage us that God is for us when we are in Need of Him. It's a reminder to us that God can do anything but fail. Amen? And so tonight, as we come here, I want you to be encouraged tonight that God loves you and God loves me. In your deepest moment of distress and difficulty, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your preserver. I want you to see three very simple thoughts tonight from this passage. Number one, notice verses three to four. Number one, I want you to see the Lord who is sleepless. The Lord who is sleepless. I heard the, I read the about giraffes, that giraffes are, the, are animals with the shortest sleep cycle of any animal. They say giraffes sleep standing up anywhere between 10 minutes and 2 hours in a 24-hour period of time. So an average, an average giraffe averages about 1.9 hours of sleep. Now some of us who can't sleep, I think we probably fall in the category of being a giraffe. Amen? You know, we may not have the long necks, but probably have sleep, sleep disorder. And sleeplessness is not good as a human being. Sleep disorders are not good. You've heard me say this before that... That UCSS has done extensive studies on, on the correlation between sleep and a healthy immune system. And they say, especially for women, that women need about, probably about seven to eight, maybe about eight hours of good uninterrupted sleep per night for a very strong immune system. Now, you know, if you're a young person, you're enjoying sleep, enjoy it now because you get older and you're, and things just kind of change with you. You know, you just wind up finding you have less and less sleep and sometimes you're just thankful if you can get uninterrupted sleep. But I want you to notice something tonight, those sleep, uh, sleep, uh, sleeplessness for you and I may be a problem i'm thankful tonight we have a god who who never sleeps amen the bible says in verses three and four he will not suffer thy foot to be moved he that keepeth thee will not slumber behold he that keepeth israel should neither slumber nor sleep god does not sleep god is always awake god is always vigilant god is always watching god is sleepless notice tonight god is not asleep number one when we have problems God is not asleep when we have problems. I reminded tonight in First Kings eighteen, verse twenty seven. There was a confrontation between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal you remember that story there and uh, those men they were, they were, uh, they were just they, were, they, they wanted to get Baal all riled up and they wanted to call upon this false god to come and help them it got to about midday and of course Elijah knew that Baal was dead and we know that Baal was a dead god and not an active god so he, he, he was mocking them and one of the things he said in mocking them he says well you know do something about this he said maybe perchance your god is on an adventure he's on a journey somewhere or maybe." Maybe he's asleep. You know, I'm thankful tonight we have a God that doesn't sleep when we have problems. When you have a problem, he's very aware of what that problem is. He's very aware of what goes on. Look again. He doesn't sleep, and he doesn't slumber. He knows we have problems. He understands our problems. He knows we're looking for answers and solutions when we have problems. His quietness should not be confused or thought of as, as God being uh, just indifferent to our situation. God never sleeps during our problem. But you say, well, pastor, I'm crying to God and I feel like he doesn't hear me. He hears you, but he's working all things for his good. We must remind ourselves God's silence doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. God understands we have a problem. He's not asleep. God never sleeps when we have problems. Would you write this down? God never sleeps when we're praying. Amen. Now, I've been to some prayer meetings, and I have to be, I make a confession to you. I've been to some prayer meetings where I've heard guys fall asleep, and you can hear them snoring through the prayer time uh, during their prayer meeting time. But I'm thankful that when you and I are praying, especially during very intense times, God is open to our prayers. He hears us. Our prayers might be boring to us, and someone else's prayers might be boring to them. But our prayers are never boring to God. Our prayers might lack eloquence and articulation, but God is never asleep when we pray. In our most earnest praying, God is not asleep. And our most earnest and praying. God is not asleep. I'm thankful as I think about the storms that the disciples were on on the, on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus went down beneath and as before the ship got going and he just went to sleep. By the way, storms don't bother Jesus. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen? Storms don't bother Jesus Christ. And uh, as as he was there, they they came down. They thought thought he was asleep. They said, Carest not thou that we might perish? And Jesus, Jesus said, No problem. He came back up and he spoke three words that calms every storm. He says, Peace be still. I remind you tonight, when we pray, God is not asleep. God is actively at work. He may not be working the way we want him to work, but he does it according to his time timetable. He proves to us every time when we have a problem, every time we're praying that he's there. By the way, number three, God is never asleep when we need provisions. God knows our need. I'm going to give you some examples tonight. Remember the story there about Elijah? God, Elijah told, told, uh, uh, The children of Israel, he said, hey, I want to tell you something. He says, God's not going to send rain. He says, your your rain, heaven is going to be shut up. You're not, there's going to be any rain. And so famine started. The ground started to be parched. And the the clouds were were, were tightened up. And no rain came down. And God led Elijah, of all things, to a drying brook. And as he stood by that drying brook, God met his need. I mean, amazingly, he watched his brook decrease in size over time because the water was evaporating. But that water was his water source for a one-year period of time. And God met his need, even though that brook dried up until it was completely... Completely dried up. God met his need. I remind you tonight, sometimes we're going to be at the drying brook of life. We're going to watch the brook of our savings de- de- be depleted. We're going to watch the brook of our strength be depleted. We're going to watch, perhaps, maybe if you're in sales or some other line of work like that, where you've got a pipeline of clients, you're going to watch, perhaps, that may decrease over a period of time. Whatever it may be, your, your pro- whatever it may be, sometimes we feel that when we our needs are drying up, God is still there. God is not asleep when our provisions dry up. I think about David when he was running from his son Absalom. Remember that? And he was with his men and they went out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have time to bring a lot of provisions. And at a time when they were discouraged in a time when their provisions, if you would, was just de- almost depleted, God sent a dear friend to David. And his name was Barzillai the Gileadite. Remember Barzillai the Gileadite? Barzillai came with several other men. He came with a guy named Shobi and another guy and some other guys like that. And they brought some provisions of beds and basins and some beans and provisions. They brought enough to take care of David and his men there. They came at the right time. God meets your needs always at the right time. He's never late and he's never too early. Amen? God is always there for our provision. The multitude in the wilderness had only five barley loaves and two small fishes that some little boy brought. And yet God was not asleep during that time. Jesus saw that need and even when the disciples said, send them away that they may go back to their homes. God God answered that situation and Jesus blessed those barley loaves and two fishes so that the needs were met. I remind you tonight as we consider the, the the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul. When he got down to places. Because faith promised missions was just kind of just emerging at that time. And they're just trying to get the concept together. And Paul when he came short of money. God always had those provisions ready. I'm thinking tonight of Acts chapter 18. Paul was down at Corinth and in Corinth he refers to this later on in 2nd Corinthians 11 how t- how, uh, how, uh, how uh, uh, Timothy came down and Silas and when they met up with him they brought an offering from the Corinth, uh, they brought an offering down if you would from the Macedonian believers that were given to Paul right at a critical time because Paul had to just get involved and come alongside of, of, uh, of, a, of a couple named Achille and Priscilla and making tents and God met his needs, hey maybe you're a Bible college student or college student, you're working on your own and you feel like your research are depleted you're really not sure what's going to go on and uh, maybe you're somebody you're just going mouth to mouth and month to month you're not really sure what's going to happen hey i'm just thankful tonight god is not asleep when it comes to our provisions. when your heart is pure and your life is clean you're right before god god is right there for thy need no wonder paul could write later on my god should supply all your need according to his riches and glory in christ jesus god never slumbers god never sleeps he's not asleep when we're praying he's not asleep when it comes to our provisions he's not asleep when we have problems by the way may i say tonight god is not asleep when it comes to preaching God is never asleep when it comes to preaching. In fact, if I know anything about God, God loves the preaching of His Word. He loves His Word being proclaimed. He loves it when His people's souls are being filled. Listen tonight. Biblical preaching awakens our conscience and stirs us to live for God. Preaching is when God's Word comes alive in our hearts, convicts us of an area of our life that needs convicting of, and moves us to action. God... God, preaching is how God calls preachers and how God calls missionaries. Preaching is how the, wor- the work of God is advanced. Preaching is how sinners get saved. Preaching is how consciences get moved. Preaching is the starting point for revival. Listen, tonight, God is never asleep when it comes to preaching. Now, Eutychus, there are, and every church has a Eutychus or two. They may fall asleep during preaching, but God is never asleep when it comes to preaching. God uses preaching to better thought in our hearts and stir our soul about something. And we need to be attentive and listen to God because you you never know a preaching service is a time that God might call a man to the ministry and God might call a man to preaching and God might stir a church to go on and do something greater for God. I reminded of the story tonight of a mother who had a four-year-old daughter and the mother was preparing her daughter for bed. And the little girl, as kids do, as they go through these cycles, she, was, she got that place where she was afraid of the dark, and she was just scared about different things, and, and her mom tried to calm her down every night, and so as the lights were going out, the girl kind of looked out the window, and she saw the moon, the moon was just v- very fully bright that night, and she saw that, and she asked her mother a question, she said, Mommy, is that God's light up there? Is that the light that God used to kind of see things around in heaven? Mommy, is that God's light up there? And the mother said, yes, dear, it sure is, and she so the little girl, asked the mother a question, Willie put it out and go to sleep as well and then the mother replied and says oh no honey God never goes to sleep and I like what the little girl said she said after a few moments she said well as long as God is awake I'm not scared you something tonight God is always awake you don't have to be scared amen you can be you can be you can rest assured that God is there for you thank God tonight the Lord is not sleepless the Lord never goes to sleep secondly would you notice something else in verses one and two we see the Lord who is, who is, who is sleepless. Uh, notice number two. We see the Lord who is our suker. Our Lord who is our helper. Look at the psalmist as he starts off verses one and two. I will lift up my eyes. Now everybody has to come to the point. You're going to get your eyes to the hills. When this psalm was written. This was written by one of the sons, sons of Asaph. This was not written by David. This is written by one of the sons of Asaph. And when the sons of Asaph wrote their Psalms, most of those Psalms, if not all of them, were written during the Babylonian exile when they were coming back or right right after they came out of captivity. Many of them, as they were in the flatlands of Babylon, they saw those flatlands. And they longed for their heritage. They longed to get back to the hills from whence came their help. They thought about Jerusalem and the surrounding mountains. And you know, you hear the story sometimes when uh, they used to say these, in these, these stories of well, old, they said, Well, you know, well, you're going to go to battle. And they said, on a certain day, look to the mountain, look to the hills. We'll be coming there with help. And, you know, the idea there with the psalmist there, he says, you know, I have to get my eyes on the hills because I'm getting discouraged by looking at the valley. Remember, I mean, remind you tonight, child of God, that as we look at the valley of life and the trials around that valley, as you walk through the valley, the shadows of death, sometimes we can be very discouraged in our soul and we can be downcast in our heart. And we've got to get our eyes off the valley. And every now and then, like the psalmist we need to get our eyes up onto the hills for whence cometh our help. He's looking at the hills. Not that, that the hills themselves would provide help. But God himself would be coming down, would be descending from above and meeting with us in our need. God would meet you right where you're at. Notice in verse 1 he says, I will lift up my eyes into the, hell, the hills for whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Keep your finger there. And notice uh, Psalms chapter 3 if you would please. Psalms chapter 3. This is not in your notes so you need to go to Psalms chapter 3 for a moment. And David had the same thought when he was fleeing from Absalom. Because this is one of the psalms he wrote uh, during that time when he was in great trial from Absalom. David's running. David's in fear. Key people have turned against him. And he said in Psalms 3, Lord, How are they increased that trouble me? Now, David was thinking about the fact that the the people aligning themselves with Absalom seemed to be increasing day by day. He said, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? And I think what troubled him most of all was that his counselor, Ahithophel, had aligned himself up with with Absalom. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Hey, you know, that's how we feel when, when the odds are against us and we are outnumbered. And we are overwhelmed. And the problem doesn't look like it has any kind of answer anytime soon. We feel like like, like David did. The, 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 we feel like the enemy is saying, they're, they're saying about us, there's no help for him and God. God has forsaken us. Hey, remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, God never forsakes us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he goes on in verse 3, he says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my hand. Notice David in verse 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Hey, that's what he's talking about talking about when we get that place where we're lifting up our eyes to heal that's a place of prayer we're getting our eyes above we're looking into Jesus who's the author and the finisher of our faith hey we've got to get our eyes off our problems and we've got to get our eyes off our sins and our weights and we've got to get our eyes to the Lord and David at his very lowest point he got his highs up to the holy hill of God he said in verse four I cried into the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill hey can I give you a word of counsel tonight don't just ask the pastor would you pray for me you better pray for yourself you better go to God and look up to the hills. Because listen, just the pastor praying for you is not enough. You've got to go to God and prayer for your own concern. You'll never realize how real God is until you go to him and pray yourself. And so David got his eyes into the hills. And he's called the hill of Jerusalem, the holy hill of God. And notice verse 5. This is so wonderful. His heart was heavy. He had anxiety. He had trouble. He was distressed. He may have been in depression because he didn't have much of an appetite. He wasn't sleeping very well. And then he said that night after he prayed, I laid me down and slept. I wait for the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O oh Lord, save me, O oh my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Hey, listen, we can say like God, like, like the psalmist said here, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. What kind of help does God give us? Well, number one, he gives us immediate help. Immediate help. Psalms 46.1, would you look at that, please? God is my refuge and my strength. A what? A very present help in time of need. Hey, thank God tonight. He's immediate help. He has very present help in time of need. You feel like, oh, I don't know if God's going to come on time. God is there. God is there. He's an immediate help for you. You have to realize tonight, he's, he's always there. He's always on time. He's always there. Second, notice he's incomparable help. I like what he says in verse 2 here. My help cometh from the Lord. And the word for Lord is not Yahweh or Jehovah. The word for Lord is the other word that we find introduced early in Genesis, Adonai. And Adonai, the name Adonai matches God's name of Lord as being master over the universe as the one who's sovereignly in control of all things. And it links up that name very, very supremely with the name Elohim is God. And so as we look at it, it says, My help cometh from Adonai, from the Lord who is control of everything which made heaven and earth. Now that's important because right in the margin there, you need to write, God is creator God. I'm reminded of this tonight as I was thinking about a message I preached a couple years ago from Colossians chapter 1. That God is creator God. Listen, when you got the creator of all the universe, listen, we, we live in a world where people break down everything. We live in a world where men are trying to create their own gods or make themselves God. But listen, you cannot make a God. God alone is God, amen? I mean, that was the fallacy of the golden calf worship. They said, break off your earrings. And he said, out of that fire came a golden calf." No, that was out of the imagination. Man, listen, God is always God. He's God from the beginning. He's God forever and forever and ever. He is creator God. He is commander God. And by the way, he's completely God. Amen. He's God. What a solace. What a comfort. That our help comes from God, who is creator He's in control. It may feel chaotic, it may feel like a car going down the hill without his brakes, but he's in control. It's incomparable help. I think about the names of God that describe him as our helper. I think about Jehovah Ezer, Jehovah my helper. I think of Eliezer, God is my helper I think of Ebenezer Hitherto has the Lord helped me Remember that there in in 1 Samuel chapter 8 God's help cannot be improved upon There's no need for a plan B God is there for you and me He is incomparable But notice something else He's an impeccable help Now when we read verse 1 He's not making a suggestion He's not quoting somebody else It's a personal decision I'm determined, I know by faith, I can look to the hills. I will look to the hills from his come my hell. I, I believe this psalm is the son of Asaph. This was not the first time he looked to the hills from his help. And as you live long enough and you're saved long enough, you're going to have to look to the hills a lot of times for your help. You're going to have to look to God many, many times to help you through your needs. You've got your block of time during your teen years, and you've got your block of time from your 20s to your 30s, and you've got your block of time for your 30s to your 40s, and you're going to have your block of time from your 40s to your 50s, and then your 50s to your 60s, and then your 60s to your 70s. And I kind of notice as I watch these different periods of time, as people have their different needs and they're moving this different age bracket, and different trials, that the urgency of needing God seems to increase over time and the nearer they get to God and it's just you know we realize that we've, the first time we've looked to those hills is what a wonderful experience when we find that we have to look to those hills over and over again and God is there for us his help is reliable his help reinforces us his help will not fill us his he help keeps coming when we, when we would otherwise would think would not come look with me in Hebrews chapter 13 and there's, notice verses 5 and 6 as this was written to the Hebrew believers at a time when they were back and far away from God in Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 look what the writer says He's talking to people who felt somewhat a, uh, if you would, a gap in their life. They were desperate for help. They wanted God's help. And maybe as we read verses five and six, that's where we're at tonight. He said, "Let your conversation be without covetousness." I think what he's saying there, we need to get, we we don't, we want to be careful that we don't get to the place saying, "Well, if I had more money, I'll be okay." And I think he's trying to tell us, if I if I had more friends, I'd be okay and if I had more of this and had more of that and more of this and more of that he's saying let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have he's saying you know God gave you exactly what you need to have at this moment in time be content with such things as you have and then he says for he has said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee hey listen if you've been abandoned physically or emotionally if you're feeling lonely you're feeling like you've been forsaken I have good news for you God said I will never leave you nor forsake you amen He's right there for you. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. Even in our worst moments, even in our most sinful situations, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And then I love what He says in verse 6. So that we may boldly say, so that we can say with faith, so that we can say with confidence, that so we can say without, without equivocation, we can say this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What a great consolation. During the Civil War, General William Sherman got into a tight spot there many times. I've used him as a sermon illustration many times. One day he wrote to General Ulysses Grant, who was the head general over all the, all over all the union, union soldiers. And he shared his heart, and in this note he said this, he said this to General Grant, I knew wherever I was, you thought of me. And if I got in a tight place, you would come. And I remind you tonight... God always thinks of us, and we're in a tight place. He always does come. Amen. God is there for us. I mean, thank God General Sherman kind of thought about that, but General Grant. But I'm thankful we have a God who's there. The psalmist said, I will look into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. God is there for you. His help is impeccable. His help is incomparable. His help is immediate. Hey, thank God tonight that you've got a God who's there for you. Amen. But notice one other thing tonight we're done. We see the Lord who's sleepless. We see the Lord who is our suker. But you notice in verses 4 to 8 tonight, the Lord who is our sentinel. He says he's our keeper. He says he shall preserve us. And he gives us some ways in which he talked about that tonight. The Lord who is our sentinel. Up on the east coast during a snowstorm, during one winter, a boy maybe five or six years old uh, was given an invitation by some friends not very far from him. They said, hey, would you come to our, I'm having a birthday party. No, know it's not going to be good weather, but I'm having a little birthday party. I'd like for you to come. And you, know, and, and, you know, good weather. You could probably walk maybe two blocks in about a couple minutes or so. But the, it was a really bad winter storm. It was a blizzard going on. And the little boy, his, his little children should, he asked his little father, he said, Daddy, he says, Daddy, you know, my, my friend down the street invited me to come to his birthday party. All my friends will be there. Can I go, Daddy. And the daddy looked out the window, a blizzard storm. He says, Son, it's really not safe out there. I mean, you know, in normal weather, it's okay, but I mean this snow, it's there's blinding snow out there and it's cold. And he says, Son, I don't want you getting I don't want you getting lost and things like that. And and he says, son, I don't think it's a good idea. And the, and the boy was crushed. He was crushed inside because he really wanted to be with his little friends and, and to celebrate that birthday party and just enjoyed the cake and all that. And and he was really crushed inside. He kind of was forlorn and kind of sat in a chair in a corner somewhere. And he wasn't angry with his dad, but he's just feeling very disappointed about that. And of course, as a dad, you know, he wanted the best for. For his son, and he knew his dad his son would behave himself well, and he wanted his son to go and he kind of thought on it and vacillated about it, thought about it, and he thought, okay, son, come here. He says, i I thought about it a little bit. The storm's bad outside, but here's what I want you to do: I'm gonna give you instructions how to get there. He said, I know you know how to get there, but this is a storm. I want you to follow my instructions. He says, son, you just put on your overcoat, put on your mittens, put on a hat over your head, put on your snow boots. I want you to get outside, and I want you to walk down a straight path. Don't look either way, don't let the winds blind you, don't get distracted, just walk down a straight path. And he says, I'm gonna help you count how many steps to get there, and you'll recognize the house when you see that. He says, Daddy, that sounds like a good idea. So the boy put his coat on he put his snow cap on, he put his mittens on, he put his boots on, He was all bundled up, and he went out the door, gave his dad a big hug, and he started walking outside. And true to what his dad said, man, the, the, the flurry of the snow was bad. It was very blinding, and if you turned your head one moment the wrong way, you'd get blinded or turned around your way. The little boy remembered his father's instructions. His dad said, now please remember, you've got to follow what I'm telling you, or you're going to get lost. And the boy started walking. He hadn't gone maybe about 20 steps, and he just kind of felt like he was being followed. And he looked behind him, but he didn't see anything. He just said, I think somebody's following me. But he kept on going. And finally, he made his way. What would have taken maybe maybe four or five minutes to get there it took him about half an hour to get there because he was just taking his way very slowly. The snow was very blinding. And after about 30 minutes of walking down, which to him just didn't seem like that long, but it was about 30 minutes, he made his way there and he recognized the house. It was uh, the house where his friend lived. And uh, he looked and he was so happy. And then he noticed behind him, he saw a figure kind of hide behind a lamppost. And he couldn't tell what it was, but he looked there and literally. Later on, he found out that, as he, that after, after the party, that his father had followed him from the moment he left the house. His father followed him, making sure his son would make his way there safely. His father followed him all the way to that boy's house to make sure he got there safely. Can I tell you something tonight? That's how God worked for you and I. He follows you where you're at. We may be in a a blinding snowstorm. And we may be in a a very difficult place in our life. But God follows us. God's with us during that situation. And it doesn't matter how blind he may be. We have a God in heaven who loves us so much he's there. Look at verse 4. Behold. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, when he said that, he's telling us something very important. Number one, he's saying, "Listen, as I look to the hills, and we're making our return back to uh, back to Jerusalem, we must remember God is the one who keeps Israel." So, as he's writing this psalm, he's reminding us of God's concern for the nation. But God is not only concerned for the nation; He's concerned for us. And he said, "He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep." In other words, He's not going to be negligent. He's not going to turn a blind eye. He's not going to be, be, kind of be, be just, you know, be careless about things. God is watching over you and I with a careful eye as the eye of a hawk. He neither slumbers nor he sleeps. Then he said in verse 5, the Lord is thy keeper. By the way, you can bank on that. He's your keeper tonight. Amen? Don't worry about everybody else. He's your keeper. He's there for you. The Lord is thy keeper. Hey, how many have been in a tough situation, an almost very dangerous situation, and the Lord was there as your keeper? Amen? The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. Hey, he's talking about somebody who's making his trek all the way from the valleys of Babylon, hundreds and maybe a couple thousand miles from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem. It's an arduous walk, an arduous journey. There is no public transportation, there are no airplanes, there's no chariots to get upon. He's making his journey there. And the sun is shining brightly. It's hot. It's humid. He's walking through the sand. He has no umbrella. He has no shade. But here's what he's saying. He's equating the difficulties in life as being the sun bearing down upon us. And almost like melting us away. And almost just burning us away. And he says, look, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. Hey, it make it hot. And in the heat, you'll feel the intensity of the heat. And you'll feel the sun rays of the trial upon you. But the Lord is your keeper through all that, he said. And he says, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Hey, later on, we find that Hezekiah writes the same thing in Psalms chapter 91. He says, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. He says, listen, God is there for you. And he said in verse 7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. Underline that, all evil. he should preserve thy soul. In a few weeks, we'll be in our study from 1 Thessalonians 5.23 on Wednesday night. Paul, realizing what was going on in the spiritual lives and the battle the Thessalonian believers were going through, he said, the Lord sanctify thee, spirit, soul, and body. May remind us tonight as God's people, don't elevate The physical over the spiritual. You were made as a spiritual being. Focus on your soul. Work on your soul life day by day. Realize in your soul when God is speaking to you. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. When God motions you to prayer, go to prayer. When God motions you to read His Word, there's a reason why I wants you in your Word, His Word. And if God brings you to a particular chapter of Scripture. There's a reason why God brings you there. And notice what He says in verse 5. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Hey, listen. If you're saved tonight, you can thank God tonight. He's can preserve your soul. Amen. That he says, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and for him forevermore. What's he mean by that? We're talking about the walk of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. He's talking about the journeys of life. Hey, listen, you see, God watches over us. The word keeper means to protect, it means to overshadow, it means to cover, it means to guard. He's our guardian, he's our sentinel. He's our He's our, he's our if you would, our bodyguard that watches over us, our soul guard over us. So, number one, would you notice tonight? He watches over us in our travels. I think of the shepherd who journeys out from the sheepfold. He takes those sheep out knowing that they're vulnerable. Knowing that they're stubborn and they have their own mind. And once he takes them out of that sheepfold, he realizes he has to keep a very watchful eye on those sheep because some of them will wander off. And if they're not very careful, some of them will wander off a cliff to try to get to a bush. And some of them, if he's not careful, he'll lead them to a water side there. And it may not be where he he wants them to drink yet. But if that water's flowing, he knows that if they're not careful, if they tip over in that water, they could drown. He knows some of them, they'll eat so much and overeat that if they're not very careful, they could easily get tipped over on their side. And they're very vulnerable there. He realizes that. And so the shepherd watches over them by day and by night. He watches where they go. God watches us in our travels. Sometimes we've got to go through a journey in life that we don't know what's going to happen. And that's where we've got to trust God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. We need to commit our thoughts to the Lord. The Bible says commit our steps to the Lord and our thoughts shall be established. The Bible says look at Psalms chapter 73. He watches us in our travels. Psalms 23, verse 23. He says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. Hey, David wrote that. that wrote this as an old man. He was between 65 and 70 years of age when he wrote Psalms 73 and he learned one thing. I can trust God. I've learned to trust God as a shepherd boy and I've learned to trust God when I was running from Saul. I've learned to trust God as a king. I've learned to trust God during my difficulties he says I am continually with thee you have held my right hand he says you'll guide me with thy counsel." who knew God's counsel will be there and he made this and, and all that he said in verse 24 afterwards you thou shalt receive me to glory and here's his conclusion whom have I in heaven but thee and there's none upon earth that I desire more than thee hey listen we must come to the conclusion tonight in our travels of life God is watching over us in our travels number two God watches over us in our trials Verses 5 and 6, he's describing a trial in life. Go with me to Daniel chapter 3, if you would, please. In Daniel chapter 3, we have the story there of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took a stand for God. Nebuchadnezzar made this 90 foot image, remember that? He pulled in the valley of Dutra and he said, he put it right there where people could see it from afar. I mean 90 feet is tall, taller than this building. I don't even know how they made such a monstrosity, even how they got it erected there so it didn't fall. But regardless of that, they made this image. And he basically said, when you hear the sound of the trumpets and the dulcimers and all that, when you hear the sound of the music, everybody needs to bow down. And he began with all of his captains and his guards and his governors and everybody that held a political position the government. He says, when you hear the sound of the you're to bow to that. By the way, can I tell you tonight, the devil is blowing his trumpets and wants us to bow to his images. Don't bow to those images. Amen. And three young men decided we're not going to bow to that image. And while the trumpets were blowing, the dozers were blowing, The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they did not bow. And it looked very awkward. These three young men were taking a stand when everybody else was bowing. And some of their colleagues said, Hey, man, you guys better start bowing. Or You know what the king said? He's to throw you that fiery furnace that out there. Everybody knew who that fiery furnace was. Finally, word got to the king, and he's upset. I mean, he was a, just, he was a, very, he was a very temperamental man, and he got very upset. He didn't care that he just promoted those men in the previous chapter. He just promoted those men. He says, Now listen, I'm going to give you a chance. He says, Is it true? Is it true? Is it true that, that you heard the sound of the trumpet and you heard the command, but you would not bow? And he, he, this is what they said, Now, King, we said, We believe. He said, I'm going to give you a chance. You need to bow. And here's what they said to him. They said, Now, King, you need to understand something. We believe our God is more than able to take care of us. But even if our God doesn't take care of us, we're not going to bow. And that, that got him upset. And then he, gave, then he told them, to take these men and he said, bind them up. And he said, throw them into the fire. He threw them into the fire, and then he realized that as they were in that fire, he says, wait a minute. He says, something's not right here. They're, 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 they filled this thing up, and the Bible says he made it seven times hotter. It was so hot that the men that initially grabbed, grabbed him, his own men, were killed by the intensity of the heat from it. I mean, you can only imagine how hot the fire was on that. And he threw these three men in, and under normal circumstances, they would have already been dead by the heat. But he looked in there, and he says, wait a minute. I see some movement inside that fire. I don't hear any sounds. I see movement. He says, how come they're not screaming? How come they're not crying? How come we don't smell?" the the burning of flesh in here and the burning of clothes how come we don't smell any of that and he looked inside he says hey did we throw three men in there and they said yes king we did well how come I see a fourth one and the fourth was like the son of man hey he even knew that Jesus was with them amen and listen let me tell you tonight when you keep your testimony right and you don't complain and you live for God people know Jesus is with you through that trial amen we brought him out the fire and he he brings out the fire look at verse 25 He answered and said, Lo, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. He's with us in our trials. He says, There's no hurt on them he says and the form of the fourth is like the son of God verse 26 And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and the fire is still burning still raging and he spoke and said Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego you serve as the most high God come forth and come hither hey that's kind of interesting here's a man who just moments before was telling everybody you need to bow to me I'm the most high God and now he's quoting the Hebrew name of God El Elyon there's none higher than God he said, he said, servants of the Most High God. He realized he had been whooped. And he acknowledges right in front of all those Babylonian those Babylonian princes and people there. I've been whipped Here, listen. I'm going to call these men who are the servants of the Most High God. I found out there's a God bigger than my God. By the way, when you stand for God, people will find that out. Amen. He says, come out hither. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of fire. Notice verse 27. And the princes, governors, captains... King, now, who are all these guys? Those were their peers. Those are all the men they worked with. Can I say something to you tonight? Have a good testimony at work and out of work. Because if your life is not what it should be, those people ever find out that you're opposite, that you could have you could have condemned their soul to hell because they'll be so stinking, just upset with your hypocrisy. These men, they saw that these men stood for God. They stood there and they said, Look what's happened. Notice the testimony of the king. And the princes, governors, captains, and king's council being gathered together. Basically, it's a church meeting. Amen? You know? They saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on. Glory to God. Amen? They didn't smell like they'd been in a fire. The fire didn't hurt them. The fire didn't burn them. There was no smoke smell on them. Their coats were not changed. Nothing was on. Hey, listen, God is with us not only in our travels. God is with us in our trials. God watches over us when there's treachery. Look at verse 7. He said, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. I think the son of Asaph thought about all those Old Testament patriarchs who had been betrayed who had been hurt. I think he thought about probably one of his nearest contemporaries, Nehemiah. And how they said, Come down to Ono. Let's have a conference there. And then they tried to trick him. They said, hey, let's go go hide yourself in the house of God. They did all these things to try to trick Nehemiah. And I think he thought about the betrayal, the treachery. I think he thought about how the king gave permission to Ezra on that first group that came out. Hey, go back and pour the foundation. As they poured the foundation, let's go rebuild the temple. Then the work stopped there because some of them got upset that the Jews came back. He thought about all the treacheries that David went through. He thought about all those things. He probably thought about how David was betrayed by Saul. And David was betrayed by Doeg. We saw that last week. And David was betrayed by and Hey, Father, maybe you're someone, we talked about this last week, maybe you're someone, you've gone through the road of treachery. May I say tonight, the devil's always attacking us. There's always spiritual attacks and satanic attacks. And when there are places and times when we're slandered and vilified and cursed and swore and brought to tears by the words of other people, but I want to tell you today, God watches over us in spite of all treachery. God watches over our troubles. Look again, if you would, Please. He says in verse 3, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. In other words, he's saying God will not let you slip. God will not let you trip. God will not let you stumble you see tonight as we look at the subject I look at verse 1 and well, I'm comforted by the fact that help is on the way the psalmist is on stair number 2 and he's got some troubles in his heart and he's had these burdens of the past and he's got all the bad days of they were in Babylonian captivity and he's thought about that and he's so longed and yearned for the hills of Jerusalem he says I look into the hills from what's cometh my help and so the psalmist has now ascended from step number 1 to step number 2 he's waking his way higher he's going higher for God he's on step number 2 and on step number 2 he says my help coming from the Lord. He doesn't suggest it. He knows he's with great confidence. He knows that the Lord is there for him. He's facing trouble, trials, and treachery. But the Lord is his helper. The Lord is his keeper. He's saying, I'm going higher. He's going higher because his eyes are looking upward. He's going higher because God is his helper. He does not fear what God man will do unto him. He's going higher because those hills have some meaning. Those hills mean something. Hey, listen tonight, as we look at the Old Testament, all those hills and those mountains had some great meaning to those old Hebrews. Listen, about Sinai I had some great many of them because on Mount Sinai, Moses made his trek all the way up that mountain and as there was thunder and lightning, the Jews down below, they got scared and they were fearful even to the point before even God gave the commandments and the law to Moses they said this, they said, don't let God speak, just speak thou to us or lest we die. But no, Moses went up there and as he got to the hill, he realized being on the top of the hill was a different story on the top. He realized being on the top he was walking with God, he had a time with God and God gave his word and when he came down that mountain, you know the story there, the face of Moses shined. he thought about the Mount Sinai I think this psalmist thought about Moses on Mount Sinai and the closeness he had with God and the intimacy he had with God and now he became known as the friend of God he saw that mountain for for, for, for uh, Moses there, that mountain was a help and a friend of him. he said my eyes look unto the hills when it's coming to my help, I think he thought about Mount Sinai, I think he thought about Mount Carmel where Elijah met with the prophets of Baal and he fought with them there and listen on that great mountain, here is Elijah out in number at 800 to 1, all these prophets of Baal, all the people of Israel there and probably the people of Israel that assembled there they're filled with skepticism and sarcasm and cynicism, they hadn't seen a work for God in so long, the rain had been withheld, they forgot that Elijah prayed for that rain to stop, but there on that hill, Elijah prayed himself up for three years ago on that hill and on that mountain he called for that meeting there, that mountain of Carmel, rich in the history and the minds of all the Jews, he thought that psalmist here thought about Mount Carmel and he thought about how the prophet of God defeated those prophets of Baal. Now he prayed down fire from heaven. I don't know about you, but that's great praying to pray down fire from heaven. Amen. He prayed down fire from heaven and God consumed that altar and then with boldness and courage in his heart he took a sword and he slew the prophets of Baal. And then if that wasn't enough, he went a little bit higher. Elijah made his way all the way up to Mount Carmel and overlooked the sea coast. And he made his way up there. He prayed down fire. But he said, work is not done. I still got to go a little bit higher. Amen. I've got to go a little bit higher. And he climbed a little bit higher. He got himself up to the top there. He got himself up to the top all the way up there to where? To where he, where he got down on his knees that you couldn't go any higher and he got on his knees there and he prayed and he prayed for rain and he told the servant to go out and that seventh time the servant went out he said hey i see something out there i see something out there i see a i see a cloud the size of a man's fist and god sent a gully of rain listen on one day he prayed down fire from heaven and rain from god and listen the rain came down such a torrential such a torrential amount of rain that it flooded everything's out hey listen this psalmist is thinking about mount carmel where God did a work of fire and God did a work of rain. He's thinking about Mount Sinai where their help came. Where God gave the law and God gave the commandments. And God gave the structure of the tabernacle. But there's one other mountain he's looking at. One other mountain we don't want to leave aside. I think he thought about Mount Calvary man. I think he thought about Mount Golgotha's hill. I think he thought about looking ahead in prophecy. That our savior would come and he would take on the form of a, of a man. He was God who became a man. He would take on the form of man and yet without sin. And as he did so he lived a life for 30 years just an ordinary life. And he was obscured from everything in life from ages 12 to 30. And then at age 30, he went into his ministry there. And age 33, listen, when the time came when Jesus said, my hour has come, and he would go to the cross for the sins of all the world. I think the psalmist is looking over there, looking there and looking in anticipation that the Savior would come, a sacrifice, the complete sacrifice for the sins of all the world. And there on Mount Calvary, our Savior went, and he was crucified on the cross, and then he shed his blood for the sins of all the world. Listen, that psalmist was looking to some important hills in his life. i want to tell you this evening, we have to look to those hills. We've got to sometimes look to Mount Sinai where we've got to draw close to God and get up on that mountain with God. And we've got to go to Mount Carmel sometime. We need to pray down revival fires and pray for some rain to come down to fill up our souls that are depleted. And we've got to get back to Mount Calvary every now and then. And there in Mount Calvary there, we remember that Jesus died on the cross. And listen, we need to keep the death of Christ and the suffering of Jesus Christ fresh in our minds and fresh in our hearts, burning in our soul, so that every single day we wake up and we go to bed at night reminded that Jesus is all the world to me. Amen. Amen. and tonight I'm going to remind you tonight we've got to look to those hills whence cometh with my help hey the psalmist is saying here I'm coming to step number two I'm going to look to those hills whence cometh with my help my help comes from the Lord I'm going higher you said I'm going higher you said I'm going higher hey will you go higher I'm going higher will you go higher as well amen we need to go higher for God we need to go higher for Christ don't let that trial take you down, and don't let the trouble take you down, and don't let the loneliness take you down, and don't let the bad news take you down. Don't let that bad letter you're gonna get tomorrow, the bad email you're gonna get tomorrow, the bad text message take you down. You just get your eyes on the ill it's cometh your help. Listen, your help cometh from the Lord. It's not going to come from the U.S. government. It's not going to come from Social Security. It's not going to come from the U.S. military. It's not going to come from overseas. It's not going to come from the stock market. It's not going to come from the real estate Real estate prices going up. It's not going to come from another building. It's not going to come from some uh, some personality in your life. It's got to come from the Lord. Whatever your thoughts may be tonight, let's get our eyes to the hills. Whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from God. Help is on the way. Do you need help? maybe you need to look to Calvary and get saved tonight. If you're not 100% sure that if you died today, that you're going to heaven, you need to look to Mount Calvary where Christ died and be saved. Maybe tonight your soul is depleted. Your soul life is greatly in need of God. You need about Carmel right now. A Carmel where the fire of God comes down and burns, puts a fire in your soul. And sends rain, the rain of revival to refresh you once again. Maybe all the world's distractions and being busy with all the other things. You need to get to Mount Sinai. where well, you, you get up on the mountaintop with God. And walk with God. Look to the hills. For it's cometh your help. Your help cometh from God. Father,